Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of The Parentpreneur Show with me, your host, Michael Christian. I've got great pleasure today introducing Mr. David Whitmarsh. Um, David, I've known for a very long time and I've seen his journey from afar and admired it. And I have actually cherry picked some of uh, some of the nuggets I've used in my life from his. But without further ado, David, would you like to introduce yourself to the uh, to the viewers? Yeah. Hi, Mike. Thank you very much for having me on. Very excited to be here. Um, really good to catch up with you very recently. Yeah, I'm David Whitmarsh and I'm the chief executive of a very exciting uh, renewable energy business called Standard Gas Technologies. Fantastic. Now, the, the, the great thing is, as I said, um, now I've sort of come across you in a number of iterations. Mm. Should we give a bit of background? Because obviously the, it's, it's the Parapreneur Show, so it's all about entrepreneurship and you have that in bucket loads. Um, but you also, because of your background way back when, have one of my favourite qualities, which is resilience. So maybe sort of um, go back a little bit further in time and um, we'll start there. So, uh, yeah, my 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 initial um, profession was in commercial property. Bizarrely, uh, I followed into that uh, because uh, classically got to sort of the age of 17, 18 people saying to me, what was I going to do for a living? And I had always thought I was going to join the army when I left school, which we'll come on to, I'm sure. But um, I didn't. And I was looking around thinking, OK, what am I going to do now? And there was another friend of mine at school whose dad was a chartered surveyor. And I always thought, well, you know what, they've, they've always got nice things and they go on nice holidays. I'll be a chartered surveyor. And that's literally how I got into, into commercial property for no other reason than that. Um, I don't, I'm not sure I really knew what I was going into. Um, but that was in the mid 80s and uh, graduated in having done land management and came out and worked for one of the London partnerships, a partnership called Gucci Magstaff, which I loved. Actually, it was a great company full of great people um and uh was very happy up there up until probably the early 90s and then if we cast our minds back it became quite a turbulent time uh the erm uh, norman lamont and and his antics that ended up with 15 percent interest rates and anyway the property market crashed really yeah um, and i felt like my career had stalled and it was going nowhere so i made a rather radical decision uh, to go off and join the parachute regiment which i did um and and thoroughly enjoyed although i always knew it was a foray into some uh adventure rather than a career shift and actually i have to respect one of my um, bosses at the time who when I went in to tell him my plans he said well is is this a permanent thing or or is it you know just something you want to get out of your system and I said well it's the latter and he said okay well don't resign let's call it a sabbatical you go and do what you've got to do and when you're ready come back and uh and that was fantastic because it really gave me the confidence to go out and just accept that this was a period of my life and make the most of it which I did um interestingly when I came back and saw uh that same boss he welcomed me back into the investment team at gucci and wagstaff which of course is where i met the two guys who became a very big part of my life james young and david holt who you know yeah um and i think it was i think it was coming from coming back into a big partnership a big kind of corporate if you like um that made me think do you know what i think that I'm not best suited to this environment. Um, 
I wasn't very political in the in the office. You know, I I, I find it hard not to speak my mind. And um, encouraged by another client uh, who I'm still very close to, and I'll always be grateful for him for giving me this kind of kick in the pants. He said, well, you should set up your own business. Um, and I spoke to Jimmy and Holty about that. And uh, we took the we took the ridiculous step of just saying, yeah, let's do it. Um, and it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think that one of my experiences of entrepreneurship ever since has been if you really sat down and thought through what you were going to do, you'd probably never do it. There's got to be some element of uh, a leap of faith where you just step across the gain line you you know you 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 know and i've got that analogy from jumping out of an aircraft you know you've got to just you've got to go you've got to <laughs> and we did we did we we set up our own business in 1999 ironically on april the 1st which we thought was quite funny um and we had a fabulous time you know i used to get up and come to work and spend the day with two of my best friends um we worked hard we played hard you know it was a boom time in the property world um uh, but but I think that was my first kind of step into entrepreneurship without even realizing I was an entrepreneur, you know, i.e. somebody running your own company, taking risks, making decisions, making choices around the direction that the company goes in. And uh, I spent 15 years uh, with that in that setup with with James and David, Jimmy and Holty, as they're affectionately known. And um, but but they, but then we kind of moved into the phase of. Uh, the you know the, the the banking crisis the credit crisis of, sort yeah. of 2008 2009 and that period i don't know if you remember lasted about three or four years in the property sector and it was an interesting time because financially we made money because it played into our hands it became a lot more entrepreneurial you needed to sniff deals out you needed to make deals happen yeah really suited us so so bizarrely during that period we actually were financially very successful we did some of our best deals from a from a monetary term in that period but coming out of that period i think that i had felt that there was a seed change in the markets in the property sector a lot of companies were getting bought up smaller companies were amalgamating but creating these bigger super companies the dtz's the jll's and what have you and as i said before that i just knew that wasn't my environment um yeah. And and I think that's when the opportunity of getting involved in Standard Gas, which is a whole another uh, question for you, I'm sure. Yeah. But, um, you know, that's when that opportunity came across. I felt ready to do something quite radical and, and step away from a, an incredibly successful business with people that I loved um, and making that step change across to something that, relatively speaking, I knew very little about. And, and I think that feeds back again to what I was saying, that sometimes that's not a bad, bad thing. Sometimes ignorance is bliss you know if if you really if i knew in 2013 what i was getting myself into i might never have done it but um it, that's probably where the qualities of resilience and what have you come out you know it's it's very interesting uh you're, you're spot on because there's two sort of themes there one is the if you knew everything you probably wouldn't do it mm. you know i was one of the little phrases i always bandy around with my kids and also with clients and stuff is is ready fire aim you know yeah. <laughs> you just just do it and 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 to to go back to the, the sort of jumping out of an airplane thing you know uh, it's it's jump out and uh, you know build the parachute on the way down and i think that has to be a massive part of being entrepreneurial but what yeah. really kind of um resonated there was when you said that um, i wasn't political so mm. 
when we had coffee the other day, I said, oh, look, you know, that's where I used to work. And I used to work for a sort of a small family um, office type thing. And uh, I just couldn't be asked with the <laughs> politics. I just couldn't be asked. It's really you know. our mind. I think that's it's yeah. a great thing. But but I, I've never been that good at saying what I think people want me to say. I'm more inclined to say what I think and, you know, worry about the consequences afterwards. It's got me into trouble over the years. Um, uh, You know, particularly when I've been beholden to other people, it it can get you into hot water. Introducing Leadology.ai, sponsors of Series 1 of The Parentpreneur Show. Leadology.ai is the ultimate all-in-one digital marketing platform for service-based businesses ready to supercharge your success. With Leadology's exclusive offer for the Parentpreneur Show listeners, not only will you receive two months free with an annual subscription, but you'll also unlock an ultra-smart bonus bundle of clever solutions for your Parentpreneur business that will help you save time and unlock a world of opportunities. This bundle alone is worth $997. Just click on www.leadology.ai slash Mike to learn more. You know, I think there's two things um two other things that i would add which i think are relevant to what we're going to talk about here today um both of which kind of came from um my experience in the military which actually if you think about it is a very structured organization yeah within the parachute regiment because of the style in which they train and the and the way they're trained to fight um they have something called airborne initiative abi because it's quite typical when a when a when an airborne unit deploys through injury or through action they can very quickly be decimated down to you know lose a lot of their senior officers a lot of the senior ncos so they create this environment this this mindset which they call abi airborne initiative where whoever's there they get together they work it out and they work together to achieve the mission to achieve the aim to to get to the target and, and to do the job and that I think is relevant into entrepreneurship because you just have to make do with what you've got. The other thing I learned in the military is there's a saying, very famous saying, no plan survives first contact with the enemy. It's a bit like Mike Tyson's, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. Yeah. You know, you, you can, you have to have a plan. Of course you do. But the, the important part of a plan is the objective. What, what, what is it you're trying to get to and not be too fixed on a to B to C to D, because it can be you can be sure that you know your best laid plans are going to be tossed out the window within a very short period of time. It's how you react to those setbacks, I think, that define you as an entrepreneur. I, th- I think you're spot on. I think one of the things I've noticed, and again, something I drill into people, is that it's having a framework and having a discipline to work to a framework. But within yeah. that, that's where you have the flexibility yeah, because I'm. Because I write a list, you know, before I go to bed every day and it's never more than six things and I've got a rough idea where they're all going to slot into the day. That means, you know, when people see me in my local coffee shop pretty much every day, they go, oh, my God, I'd love to have your life. I said, yeah, yeah, would you? Would you? Yeah, really. Missing the fact that, you know, you've been up until 10 or 11 just getting stuff done so you can actually have that flexibility. It's um, the, the another quote. I think, which was attributed to you, um, which I, which I dug out, and I think this is relevant to what you've just said there about the uh, about, about serving in the in the um, in in the paratroops, and also with entrepreneurism. Entrepreneurism is um, unless you're prepared to do something different, you're never going to break new ground. Yes, 
Is that, that is something you said, isn't it? I, I did say that, and I mean it. I think that, um, you know, if you want to change something, you have to do it differently. There's you can change things from within. So I suppose there is there is a context. But if you want to make rapid change, I think if you want to make marked change quickly, you have to, by definition, do things differently. And it's actually been one of the challenges that I've had at running Standard Gas because we're coming into a sector which is which which basically involves waste and energy. Um, and those are two um infrastructure sectors that have to deliver you know the world that we live in relies very much on the fact that every day somebody comes and collects your waste takes it away and you don't see its end route to disposal and every morning you want to get up and put your kettle on switch your light on and and there'd be power there so those two sectors are risk averse and change averse they like to do things the way they've always done it because it works so if you're going to come into a sector, both of those sectors, and try and shake them up, you have to be bold and you have to try and convince people to do things differently. I've learned some things along the way with that as well, that that sometimes trying to change things head on like a bull in a china shop, which, again, is very much a sort of uh, a, an airborne attitude of you know bags of smoke straight down the middle. Yeah, it's not all is that's not the only route you can make change quickly by but not just taking people on but trying to bring people on rather if Brian bring people on board I think that's often a better way but I do believe to make a difference you have to change things would you say that being an entrepreneur or being the father of daughters has made you better at those soft skills <laughs> um well definitely being um, a father of daughter has softened me um so so you'll you'll have read in that same interview where i said that about change i also said that i've been um referred to as reckless in my life in the past uh, mm-hmm. i've made i've made so so you know like i just said going from uh, a professional charter surveyor business into the parachute regiment going from a you know a, a well-established company to set up my own or, or to go into a completely new sector um, I, I, those decisions to some people appear to be reckless, but I'd always had this attitude. Well, but I'll back myself. I'll always be okay. And um, having kids, and for me particularly, I think having daughters um, has changed my outlook on risk. You know, because it's not just I'll be okay. I've got to make sure that they're going to be okay as well. Um, yeah, having daughters uh, playing dolls, um, pushing prams around the garden, they, they're going to soften anyone over time, I think. <laughs> if you'd seen me about an hour ago, I was wearing necklaces <laughs> just before. I've had, I've had that horrible thing in the morning or on a Monday morning sometimes where I've been sitting having my morning coffee and I realise I've still got nail varnish on from where, <laughs> I, where I've let the girls pick me up and scrubbing away trying to get the nail varnish. <laughs> Oh, you're saying actually now, you know, I don't care anymore. You know, I've got to a point where I, I'd actually wear the nail varnish with pride now. You know, it's a it's a mark of, uh, you know, of the of the privilege of being a father. I think that that uh, spot on. I was just about to say for me, yes, I've softened my approach to risk. Mm. I, I the, the analogy I used recently with someone was I always used to go out like um, Kevin Peterson. 
you know, and it was like smashing for the boundaries. Six or out. <laughs> Six or out. Yeah, yeah. Death or death or glory. Yeah. Um, but I've realised over recent years, it's it's far more prudent to play like boycott or uh, Alistair Cook, you know, and chip away for the singles. And you know, it's interesting that you, you because um, uh, I'm sure this is typical. I'm sure a lot of entrepreneurs will will relate to this. Um, and it's certainly been my experience of what we've done at Standard Gas. We, I've made huge sacrifices to get the company to where it is, and in, and inevitably that affects my family, right? So, um, you know, when we first took control of Standard Gas in 2016, I became an investor in Standard Gas in 2013, and um, my current chairman and I if you like, control of the company in 2016 when I became a chief executive and he became the chairman. And for four years after that, we worked for nothing. You know, mm-hmm. and thankfully, we both had, you know, over my years working with Jimmy and Holty, we'd built up a portfolio um, of our own that provided me with a passive income that I, so, so I could, you know, so I could do that. Um, but I think that's probably quite a common um sacrifice that most entrepreneurs make when you're setting up a company you know we had to make sure that the team got paid um you know everybody you know people who had a job at standard gas as such you know they always got paid but the the executive team who were in fact a a group of the shareholders who stepped up to offer to run the company when it when it looked at one point that it was going to fail um, you know, I, I I cannot underestimate the impact that that's had on my family. And and to be, to, you know, let's put it into perspective, they've not had any hardship. But 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 whether we're just talking about parents, uh, kids, but also my you know my wider family, my wife as well. You know, we've not been able to do some of the things that we might otherwise have done. And it sounds like first world problems, doesn't it? But I think I think it's a mark of the commitment that you have to make as an entrepreneur. When you're when you're also a family man, you know, I think that it it's because as you well know, you know, standard gas is more often than not the last thing I think about when I go to sleep and the first thing I think about in the morning. And I've been, you know, I can't, I don't think in the last six years I've had a holiday where I haven't worked every single day. Yeah. Not all day, but, you know, taken calls or, or you know, particularly with this kind of format now. Yeah. Um, and the challenge for someone like me is that you, and I'm sure for a lot of entrepreneurs, I can't just switch from one personality to the other. So I can't just go from being, you know, the CEO of Standard Gas and then literally the next minute jump in the pool and be dad to my two girls because I'm there, but I'm not there sometimes, you know, if that makes sense. It, it's a tricky one, isn't it? And I think you you have to accept that there will be times where one or the other you know consumes you entirely but when you know what your end goal is when you have clear values when you have a very strong why for what you're doing you kind of it it kind of appeases that sense of guilt or not guilt or you know sense of um you know i should be doing something Mm -hmm. else it's the old adage you know when you're in the office be in the office when you're with your family be with your family but that doesn't always work when you are like the ceo or when it's your own gig you do uh, have to sort of juggle the two things and it's a um, dynamic equilibrium and i have to give credit to my chairman who uh is uh, an extraordinarily experienced and very wise individual um having reached the ripe old age of 79 but puts people 30 years his junior to shame with his energy levels and his commitments he's extraordinary 
And when we first took on standard gas, as I say, back in 2016, and it really was consuming then because we literally had to pick up the pieces and, and go again. And he said to me, do not forget about your children. Do not forget about your family. You know, it is important. Otherwise, what's the point? Yeah. You know, you'll, you'll be thinking you're doing this for them. Don't kid yourself. And he said, make sure every day when you come home, even if it's a 20 minutes, half an hour, phone away, you know, be there, be present. So he's always been very supportive of that. And, I, and I've taken that on board. You know, it, we are only borrowing them, you know. And, you know, it's interesting because a, a mistake I've made in the past is whenever I'm kind of mapping out my ambition or my vision for what I want for Standard Gas, when I'm projecting forward five years or 10 years, the mistake I used to make is in my mind, everybody in my life and my family is the same age. So I'm thinking, oh, in five years' time, in five years' time, and of course, well, my eldest daughter's 13 in five years time, she's off to university. So, you know, I don't want to be planning for what we're going to do in five years time. And then in five years time, look around and oh my God, they're gone. You know, how did that happen? I had never even thought of that. That is so right. I'm a big one for planning, you know, one year, yeah. one week, whatever, but yeah. I've never taken into context the age. You're, you're, you're right as well to say that I'm doing everything I'm doing for my kids. I want them to, I want to build on the legacy that my folks gave to me, you know, yeah. for me, pay, paying it forward would be, would be to take what they've given me and then mag, you know, sort of magnify it five, 10 X, whatever I can do. And that's easy for me to understand as a, as a, as a 50 year old dad, but yeah. for my kids, they don't give a shit. No, they, they, want, they want to have that 10, 15 minutes of just unadulterated stupidity at the end of the day with you. That's it. You know, we talked about it when we met for that coffee, Mike. And, uh, you know, the realisation that I've had is that, you know, we, we've had moments in our lives where we've taken our kids off on fancy holidays abroad or here in the UK where we've stayed at five-star hotels. And and that's as much for, for me and my wife as a little bit of a luxury for us and everything else. But you're not doing it for your kids because they don't get it. And, and actually the holidays that my kids will talk about are, um, you know, long weekends in my sister's caravan up on the Norfolk coast, or, or, you know, we had last year, we had a week down in Cornwall that we booked last minute. Um, and the weather was fabulous like it has been recently. And we had an absolute ball. So, so the, the most valuable thing you can give your kids is your time. Time and attention. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, getting back to the sort of the big view though, and this kind of segues back to standard gas as well, because, you could argue that you're here involved with a company that produces carbon negative energy from waste stock. So yeah. we'll come on to that in a moment. But the very fact that you're in this um, sort of environmentally empathetic industry does yeah. say that it's not all about the money for you, that you are looking at building something other than just a, a business. And that has to do with having kids, I guess. It's, it's, it's certainly connected. There's no doubt about that. You know, in, in all of the time I built a successful business in the commercial property sector, no one ever said to me, wow, commercial property, that sounds interesting. Tell me about it. <laughs> um, and uh, whereas with this business that we're working on at the moment, there is definitely, and, and that this applies to everyone, I think, within the company, but also widely from my experience with people in the sector, that they are in it because they do care um, about the environment, about the climate, about the future. Um, and, you know, I have had conversations with 
mates of ours, people who you know as well, who are in very senior positions now in banks or in, in investment companies, uh, uh, um, you know, the big the big UK insurance companies and what have you, all of who invest in infrastructure, trying to get them to get behind Standard Gas financially and saying, but you've got kids. You have this isn't this isn't a this isn't a decision that you can just walk away from. We have to think about the future. And um there is without a shadow of a doubt a feeling for i mean first of all it's got to be commercially successful and it's got to be commercially successful to be rolled out you know yeah. other, you know if it, if it, if it's not commercially viable it isn't going to work that's just the way the world is you know so we've got to make it commercially viable first but but um you know i've said this before as as much as our generation and older might think that the climate change climate crisis issue is still a controversial one and and i understand that you know there's there's a you could do a whole uh, session here on just that one point let me assure you and i'm sure you know this our younger generations it is not open to debate they are 100 convinced and and look at some of the crazy things that have been happening weather-wise and climately now whether that's man-made or not we could debate that till the cows come home. Our kids have accepted um, that that this is something we have to do about. And if anything, that's part of what what gives us gives me hope that, yeah. that, that there is a chance. You know, yeah. I'll tell you, the other thing I was going to say as well. Um, I've never worked in a sector that is as open to collaboration, support, um, uh, connecting than I have in this sector. You know, uh, commercial property. Yes, you ended up, yes, you needed to have relationships with people on both sides of any deal to make that deal happen. And, and being the ability to strike those relationships was important. But you never really saw companies, you saw individuals create those sort of collaborative relationships, but you never really saw companies do it. They were very much in competition with each other. Here, it's completely different. There is a real sense of collaboration and cooperation. Yeah, it's a good point. I, I, you know, I remember from my forays within the the property world, commercial and otherwise, you shake hands on a deal, but then you go away and count your fingers. Yeah, it was dog eat dog, mate. It was survival of the fittest. Whereas this genuine, genuinely, I think the whole carbon removal, net zero movement has garnered people. It's, it's pulled them together. I think there are, of course, there's still a bit of greenwashing going on here and there, and. I got asked the question of saying, you know, when a lot of these big companies have got their net zero ambitions now, are they doing it because they care about the climate or are they doing it because they, they think it makes them look better and they might sell more of their things? I said, well, for the time being, does it matter? You know, as long as we're getting where we need to get to, um, whatever the motivations are, let's work with them. We work with those motivations. And uh, over time, I think we'll see as the younger, and, and even by younger, I mean people in their 30s, you know, people in their early 30s, late 20s, people who are already in the corporate world. I think they really do care. Well, you made the point recently as well that this does now become commercially sensitive. If you are not green, not mm. just greenwashing, but if you are yeah. not green, people will actually make a commercial choice as a consumer to not take your product or service. I think people will make an informed choice going forward. I think that's why a lot of the big corporates have jumped on to this issue. I think consumers will make an informed choice. And if you, if one product is uh, having a less harmful um, impact or is in supporting um, climate issues, I think people will make the choice to buy that product over another. I think we're already seeing that. 
Yeah, and, and I think that's this is also where the collaboration comes in because collaboration requires long-term trust, long-term relationships and long-term mm. plans. It's why you're not seeing it from perhaps some some older industries like banking, insurance or politics for that matter, yeah. Yeah. all of whom are in, in it for the, you know, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, let's get what we can now. But if you look at the newer industries, the young where the, where the younger people tend to be in, in tech and what have you, there's a lot more um, there's a lot more enthusiasm and commitment to the to the topics we're talking about. No, absolutely. So, how do you um, sort of involve, if at all, your your children, your daughters in your world? Do they know that daddy's an entrepreneur? Do they know that he's a CEO <laughs> no. of a business and all that sort of stuff? No, they, so so my kids are 13 and seven. So my yeah. seven-year-old, bless her, is still wonderfully um, um, innocent and naive to anything that she knows. They know what I do, actually, to be fair. that, that That's being a bit hard on her. She knows what I do. Um, she understands the principles of what I'm doing, and they, and they, they, they understand that I'm the CEO of that that company. Um, my eldest has been on it for a long while, and actually – part of one one of the initiatives that we've taken within Standard Gas is we've set up a, a sister company called the Carbon Char Store. And it's the Carbon Char Store that's going to focus very much on the carbon removal element of our business. So you've got the, the main core of the business, which is where we very cleverly and very innovatively take residual waste. So waste that's currently going to landfill or incineration. So it's either being buried or burnt. Mm -hmm. right? And, and that's very harmful to the environment, regardless of what they might tell you about how they're trying to abate those emissions. They're still um, very harmful to the environment. We've developed a, a much cleaner way of converting waste through into something that once again has value. So waste, by definition, has no value because you're going to throw it away or get rid of it. And we're creating it. We're turning it back into two products. One, a very, very clean gas that can be used to replace natural gas and um this carbon char and the carbon char is the piece that makes us net zero so or actually carbon negative so in our process it's a modern mechanical industrial process of course yes we emit uh co2 into the atmosphere it's impossible not to do so if you have a modern um even wind and solar have a very low carbon footprint. However, because of this carbon char that we're creating and provided that we sequester that, which means to kind of bind it up, lock it away into something. And we're doing studies at the moment on sequestering it into concrete to make concrete cleaner. Um, we are removing more carbon than we're actually emitting. So emitting. So we are um, a, a, a net zero or net negative um, from a carbon perspective and uh, and i think that's the, that's really the key issue of what we're doing so differently now setting up the carbon char store the idea around that was to try and take the more perhaps consumer facing side of our business and and allow people to understand what it is that we're doing and i think that families individuals will start to take responsibility for their own carbon footprint i think we're already seeing it now we touched on it you'd, you'd rather buy one product that has a lower carbon footprint than another but that sort of inspiration did come in part from my eldest daughter because she said to me well it's a bit like so so years ago they got very much into uh conservation and through the World Wildlife Fund, I very typically, like a lot of other dads, I'm sure, we 
um, subscribe once a month uh, to the World Wildlife Fund. And we sponsor a snow leopard, a tiger and an elephant. And whilst I'm sure we don't actually individually sponsor that, you know, the concept is there that they're 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 buying it. They're buying into the idea that there is scarcity and that it's not a finite supply of animals and 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 the the balance of nature and it was grace who said to me my, my eldest who said look we should do the same with carbon daddy in the same way that we are contributing to save nature and wildlife we could do the same with the planet by um supporting the removal of carbon so the idea around the carbon child store is that somebody can go on calculate what their family's carbon footprint is a year and subscribe to with us so for every ton of carbon that we remove they say well we'll we'll buy that ton of carbon removal from you and we'll do it through your carbon char store so we're setting up an app that people will have access to they'll be able to calculate their own carbon footprint they'll be able to say okay our carbon footprint is two tons a year or whatever it ends up being and they can commit through an through a subscription same as i do for the snow leopard the tiger and the elephant to to clean up their own personal carbon. And I think that there is a real scope for that. Now that came from a conversation with my eldest daughter. See, that is fantastic, isn't mm. it? Yeah. From the from from the mouths of babes, isn't it? Mm. It's it, it and it is actually that goes back to what you said earlier about if you actually knew all the facts, you probably wouldn't get involved in being an entrepreneur. <laughs> yeah. Or if you were like fully qualified up, you'd be like, oh well, yes, but yes, but you come in with a completely fresh perspective and bang. I think that's a fascinating idea and definitely, definitely will stick something in the uh, show notes for anyone listening or watching who wants to find out more about that. So, I mean, I can imagine the demographic who are, you know, tuning into the parentpreneur show. It's very much resonating with them. Yeah. You know, we've done it. We've done through the carbon child store. We did a deal recently with a sports um engagement sports management team called limelight sports so limelight sports organize and and run mass participation sporting events so marathons triathlons duathlons all these kind of events that, around the country and they did a survey of all of their participants to say you know what could we do better and the the large the most overwhelming feedback they came was that we're really concerned about the effect uh, that mass participation sports are having on the environment. So, you know, you've seen all of the plastic bottles and all yeah. of this, loads of people traveling from around the country specifically to participate. So the carbon footprint, relatively speaking, is quite high. And you have generally in people who would get involved in mass participation sports, people who are health conscious, environmentally aware, and what have you. So I know the CEO of Limelight, he came to me and said, that carbon thing you're doing, is there any way we could tie these two things together? And it was a brilliant idea. And I credit entirely it entirely to him. And we've struck a deal with Limelight Sports now where anybody participating in their event, we will gift to them their carbon footprint for participation in that sport. So there's so their participation in that event becomes completely carbon neutral. And, and I think that that's, you know, it's a relatively small, I think it's about 400 tons a year. So it's a relatively easy thing for us to gift. Yeah, It's the kind of thing we want to do. And it's finding that balance between making something, like we said before, commercially viable, but having that social climate impact that we want it to have as well. It's led us to some thinking around a foundation that we want to set up within Standard Gas. 
um, and we haven't quite got to the bottom of it yet, but the, the basic bones of the idea is that um, take ocean plastic. They, they now believe that 80 odd percent of the ocean of the plastic that ends up in the ocean comes from 10 uh, locations in the world. And they all tend to be in the Far East and Africa where they are pretty um, relaxed about how they dispose of waste. In fact, actually, the Western world needs to hang its head in shame because we've been shipping our waste out there as well. And, you know, out of sight, out of yeah. mind, they're going to deal with it. And of course they don't, they take out what's got value and the rest of it they throw into rivers, which ends up washing down into the ocean. Our idea is that we will, you know, I don't know what it is, but one every, every 10th machine that we make of ours, we will gift it on a non-profit basis to, um, one of these locations we're working with a group called the plastic bank who are trying to do up their own initiatives to get people to use more recover more plastic um and that we'll put these machines in those locations so rather than throwing their waste in the river they bring it to us and we'll give them something in return for that i i, I think when we discussed these over coffee recently i thought these ideas both the, the char bank and also this, mm. uh, the foundation absolutely fantastic yeah. and um I, I think i mentioned then as well what i've discovered recently and what you've just given an example of is the more people you can help the more successful you will be yeah and it doesn't have to be a straight transact you know a commercial yeah. transaction initially yeah. the good the good will flow and the money will flow from that as well i agree completely agree and and again i think it's an exciting thing about the sector that i'm in now that you can do that so so the success of our company isn't measured solely on the the money that we create i think there's the impact side of it as well we are seeing more and more sustainable impact funds you know we we've seen um uh, controversy in the press recently where big financial institutions big investment institutions making positive decisions not to invest in businesses that okay not necessarily just saying not investing in the ones that are harmful to the environment but not investing in those companies that aren't looking at ways of changing or improving or lowering their impact uh, we call those the hard to abate industries so industries that we need for modern life but they're very hard they have a very high and very stubborn carbon footprint but um you know i think that the world is changing i think the attitude towards um forcing change and encouraging change is what we need to see that's fantastic um we're sort of coming towards the end of of, of the show now but oh, one, one, <laughs> it, it has actually flown by i just like um but one of the one of the things i, I said at the top of the show was uh in, in the introduction is that you've kind of given me inspiration i actually came to you i can't remember what it was it was a number of years ago and i asked i just said asked for a bit of a nugget of advice and you very kindly gave me something which i've used ever since which was because i was in a very much transactional brokerage sort of situation when i asked this you know and you were only as good as your last deal you got a you got yeah. a fee and that's it you're scrabbling around looking for your next deal yeah. And you very, very wisely and kindly said to me, take a piece of the action, you know, take some instant gratification because you need to pay the bills and put yeah. food on the table, but leave, leave some of your fee. Play, the, in the, play the long game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and I, and I've used that consistently um, ever since, and it's really kind of, you know, paid off for me. So thank you for that. And it touched upon what you said when you had four years where you and the chairman weren't paying yourselves. Um, multiple streams of business income are really really crucial i think for an entrepreneur what yeah. other nuggets or pieces of wisdom have you had given to you uh sleep on it 
that's a classic. <laughs> that's a cracker because um, I have relied my, the energy that I felt in the past that I've brought to businesses that I've run have almost been born from a negative perspective, like a, a like a, a a drive against injustices that I've personally felt. Now I'm going to prove you wrong, or you know, I always used to say the easiest way to get me to do something is to tell me that I can't do it. Stand back and watch. Um, but my chairman is as wise and as experienced as they come. And one of the best things he says, we've got a dilemma in front of us. He says, let's sleep on it. And he's right. There's something about taking yourself out of the moment, taking the emotion out of it, taking the injustice, the rage, or, or even the overexcitement. You know, it can be a positive thing as well. You know, you can make wrong decisions because you're overly optimistic. And that view of, you know, let's sleep on it, take a couple of days. And, and nine times out of 10, you find that when you actually switch the conscious thinking process off, it's still whirring away in the subconscious, you know, and, and you wake up some morning or even in the middle of the night and think it's obvious and you know what to do. And you can't bang. You have some of the best ideas I've ever had is when, when I was um, training for triathlons, I'd go for these long, boring swims uh, at the Lansdowne Club in Berkeley Square, up and down, up and down, up and down. But halfway through, I'd have this thought. It, it just And it's almost like, you know, you're clearing out the noise and what's left it comes through as a as a pearl of of an idea. I think that um th that one particularly resonates with me. But but I think you know I I know you and I are both fans of Simon Sinek and you quoted him earlier about finding your why and what have you. Um you know I think it, it, one of his other theories if you want to call it that one of his other ideas is if you want to be successful in business you have to play the infinite game. You know, you 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 can't focus on. And I think that's one of the one of the things I grew frustrated about with the business that I was running before with Jimmy and Holty, particularly on the transactional side of that business. You were only as good as your last deal. We were never building anything. You know, we would we would work hard for a year, and and at the end of that financial year, we work out what the profit was. We divide it up, then we go back to zero, and we go again. You know. And one of the things I do love about this business we're working in now is that we're building something that I'm hoping is going to be around for a very long time, playing that long game, making decisions that are the right decisions, not just in the moment, but for the future. I think that's something that I've really enjoyed learning more about. That really long tail that just wags and wags and yeah. wags. Mm. But I, I think you're right as well. I, I mean, there's a lot of talk on this on social media now, isn't it? It's very... Uh, is very current about passive incomes. And if you, yeah. as an entrepreneur, if you can create passive income, if you can create business ideas that make you money when you're not sat at a desk or even when you're asleep or, you know, on the other side of the world, then you have a real chance of getting back the one thing that we're just talk here talking about, you know, the other aspects of your life, your family. And, and uh, you know, that's, what I think, for any entrepreneur, that's got to be one of your ultimate goals. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a lesson I sort of like keep teaching my kids, even on a very small scale now. It's like, you know, spend your money on assets that will help yeah. you as well, yeah. you know, income yeah. generating assets. And then and and you're off to the races. Then you have the biggest, biggest sort of luxury, which is choice, freedom of yes. choice. Exactly. Which and you know, it's interesting you say that. Um uh, it's one thing I've always thought that you know, the old adage money doesn't buy you happiness, and it doesn't, it really doesn't. But it does give you choices, gives you options.
Yeah, I think it was Theo Pafita said, I've been rich and miserable and poor and miserable. Give me rich and miserable every time. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, Dave, thank you very much for your time. You've, you've touched on a couple of things there, which um, I'd love to come back to, you know, the app and the uh, foundation as and when they sort of start to develop and evolve. Yeah. I'd love to have another conversation. I know, I know you've done your own things and, and in on that sort of foundation-based ideas, and I love some of the things doing there as well so yeah very very keen to keep working with you and talking with you on both of those that would be awesome so where can uh, where can people find you if they want to look up standard gas or dave whitmarsh www.standardgas.com we'll keep it simple nice and simple dave thank you so much for your time it's been great always have a great weekend pal yeah you too take care